Well, we're in a series that we're calling Fruitology, and the series is all about information and cultivation. Hopefully, you're getting some information about spiritual fruit, but more importantly than the information, hopefully you're cultivating some spiritual fruit. And we have a couple of verses that we're building the series off of from Galatians chapter 5. I know you all know these by now. We're not going to do the blanks today, but next week you're getting a big test, a final, all right? So here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You could have read with me, like four of you read. That's good. I'm not sure if you've noticed this. I I was thinking uh, this past week as you read through the list. Every aspect of the spiritual fruit that we've mentioned thus far is really something that we'd like to have, right? Or we certainly want to be treated. We'd like to have, right? With that. Love. We all want love, right? Joy. I want to be joyful, particularly after the Eagles game today. I want to be joyful. Peace. I want peace. I don't always create peace, but I want people to be at peace with me. Patience or forbearance. I want to be patient. God, give me patience like now already, would you? And then you have kindness. We didn't get there yet because Carla, you see what Carlos did? That sucker. Um, Yeah, he skipped kindness and went to goodness. That shows you how kind he is, right? Maybe he thought, I need to learn a little bit more about kindness. Just wait till he sees how kind I am this week. (laughs) Um, So he mixed it up a little bit and talked about goodness. Well, this morning I am going to talk about kindness, but I'm going to switch things up a little bit too. I'm going to look at two aspects of the spiritual fruit. We're going to look at kindness and gentleness together. And the reason is... Those two things have a lot in common. And the more I thought about it, the best way for me to help you understand kindness and gentleness is by looking at them together. They are different, but they're also similar. So we're going to look at kindness and gentleness together, and hopefully we'll understand both of them a little better. And as we leave, we'll be a little more kind and a little more gentle. Well, first of all, we're going to start with gentleness. Gentleness. Let me give you a little quiz, a physics quiz. Some of you are thinking, oh, no, I failed physics, or I never had, or I had physics decades ago when the world was different than it is now. Well, let me ask you a question. What's the hardest substance in the world? It's the hardest substance. You ladies should know. Diamond. Actually, there's some debate. I Googled that, right? I thought I knew diamond. I Googled it. Some of the boron elements, how boring, right? Some of the boron elements, some scientists and physicists are saying, are probably a little harder, a little tougher. Now, what's boron used for? Boron is often used as a liner. So they use it as surface protection in nuclear reactors. They also use it in its dried form to control cockroaches and fleas and ticks on animals. Uh, yeah, you need something that tough to work on cockroaches, I guess. Um, but, and let me give you a little Christmas advice, right? So maybe boron's a little stronger, a little tougher than diamonds. Men, don't give boron nitrite to your wife as a Christmas gift, all right? That she'll prefer the diamond a little better. So boron is used to surface treat things so heat can't damage them. Diamonds are used to help men get married and stay married. Because men do and say stupid things, right? And so diamonds kind of ease that process. But that's not exactly what I'm thinking. What's the hardest, toughest, most resilient thing in the universe? I don't think it's diamonds or boron. I think it's people. 
Isn't that right? I mean, there are some tough, rough um, people, resilient people in the world that are hard. You ever watch the Strongest Man competition? I like watching that. Here's a picture of one of them. This guy's name is Big Z. It's, it's not me. It's not me, right? But uh, It's Big Z. He right there is um, deadlifting 1,155 pounds. That's serious, right? Some of the other events are a little more uh, flamboyant than that. You ever see them... Um, See the strongest man competition where they pull the uh, ships in the water. They pull airplanes. I saw once where they gave a piggyback ride to an elephant. <laughs> Another one, they put two refrigerators, one on each side on the thing, and they carry over a thousand pound of refrigerator, 30 meters in less than a minute. That's tough. But there's another kind of toughness too. Let me tell you about a. Uh, Two of my friends, Dan and Lisa. Dan and Lisa have a 30-year-old son named Eric. Eric was born, born with some uh, physical and mental limitations. Eric now is over six feet tall. Eric weighs almost 200 pounds. Eric has never said a word. He can communicate with Dan and Lisa... He couldn't communicate to the rest of us, though. He can walk a few steps very carefully, but he would easily fall. Dan and Lisa carry Eric or push Eric almost everywhere he is to go. Every bit of food that Eric eats has to be pureed, and he has to be fed with a spoon by either Dan or Lisa. And Dan and Lisa smile. And thank the Lord for the opportunity they have to serve their son, Eric. And they'll never hear, thank you from him. They'll never hear, I love you, mom or dad. They would attribute Jesus working through them as they have an opportunity to love and serve Eric. A number of years ago, Dan, who's a kind of a weightlifter himself, started an organization for young kids called um, True Strength. And they get together and they lift weights and Dan teaches young kids at his church how to kind of lift weights and how to do this and how to do that. But then he talks about true strength that comes through following Jesus and how to live out the fruit of the Spirit in your life in difficult circumstances. When I think of Dan and Lisa, I think of true strength. That's toughness. That's resilience. That's what God can do in your life. That's amazing, right? Well, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. If that's the toughest kind of stuff and the most resilient, what's the most fragile, the most delicate thing in the world? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Some of you have special dishes that you used this past Thursday, right? Raise your hand if you have special dishes, glasses, something you used. Yeah, yeah. We don't have that. I've broken most of those things in our home. But you only bring out that delicate china, those crystal glasses, that special silverware. You only bring that stuff out on special occasion because you don't want to get ruined. You don't want to get it broken, right? Some of you have furniture in your house you're not allowed to sit in, right? I grew up in a house like that. Thank God we don't have a house like that now. Um, 
But those objects are precious. Often they've been handed down from generations in the past. And your kids are in horror thinking that they may one day get all that stuff, right? Well, we think of delicate things like that. I remember a few years ago, it was actually during a Christmas Eve service. Some of you may remember this. The theme that year for our Christmas Eve services was Christmas past, present, and future. And we asked the staff members to bring in different elements from their Christmas past. I remember one of the administrators, um, she brought in a Christmas ball that had been in her family for generations. And when, we did, when I was kind of doing the message, we had a Christmas tree back here, and we put, you know, the heirloom ornaments on it. And I remember, I think it was like the second service, I picked up that heirloom ball as she was cringing out there, and I wasn't my usual nimble self. I dropped it and smashed it right up here. At first, she thought it was kind of a joke that I dropped another one until she found out I dropped and smashed the real one. And I had to go tell her, and, you know, she's got little tears in her eyes, and so I came alongside of her as a pastor and told her she shouldn't be so attached to earthly things. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't do that. <laughs> but, but you know what it's like to have precious, um, delicate, fragile things. So what's the most fragile thing in the world? Interestingly, it's the same as the most tough or the toughest and most resilient. It's people, right? People are delicate. People are fragile. Therefore, just like the little stickers that come on the boxes, we need to handle people with care. Now, help me out on this. I'll start and you help me finish, right? Here we go. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. He had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men. You can't memorize two verses from the Bible. But you remember a nursery rhyme from four decades ago, right? Ah, but there's truth in that little rhyme, isn't there? Sometimes we fall, don't we? And when we fall, we get broken. And sometimes we get pushed. And when we fall, it hurts. And there's another one of those little stories we uh, learned as a kid. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but, and we know that's a lie. At least in my life, most of my physical wounds have healed. I'd never give a second thought to them. But if you're like me, every once in a while you replay those words in your head, don't you? Those words that were spoken decades ago are still fresh in our heads. Those words hurt and we're broken because we're fragile and we're delicate. Now, all that to say, human beings are tough and resilient and we can be hard. And human beings are fragile and delicate. And we need to handle people with care. Here are a couple of verses that Paul wrote in another one of his letters from Colossians. And here's what he says. And, and I'm going to tell you before I read it. We will never treat people with gentleness, kindness, love, joy, peace. We will never do that unless we have God's perspective on people. If you don't look at people and see what God sees, you're never going to treat them the way he tells us to treat them. Now, the whole two, last two-thirds of the verses on the, on the screen tell us how to treat people. Treat people with kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. But how does it all start? 
Paul starts the verses by reminding us what God's perspective of people is. So here's what he says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's how God views us. Chosen. Some of you are going to go through a lot of care and great lengths to buy just that right Christmas gift for a spouse, for a child, for a parent these next few weeks. You're going to choose it with care. When God looks at human beings, he says, I've selected them. I've chosen them with great care, more care than we'll spend on Christmas gifts. And he looks at people and says they're holy. He wants us set apart for his end. Not set apart to do what we want. Not set apart to get into the cultural agenda of living out the cultural values. He wants us to be set apart for what he's doing. That's why our mission is continuing what Jesus started. We're set apart to do that. And we're dearly and deeply loved. So here's the question. When you walk up to that Starbucks counter and you look at that barista back there, do you see someone that is selected and set apart and dearly loved by God? Or do you see someone who's taken too long to get you your coffee or made it the wrong way? When you go to pick up your dry cleaning, do you see someone behind the counter or the people ahead of you in line? Do you see them as chosen, holy, and dearly loved? Or do you see them as just an inconvenience or an obstacle for you to get what you want? When you're looking for a parking spot and someone else is ahead of you, do you see those people as chosen and loved and wholly set apart? When you're talking to your boss at work and he or she is kind of haranguing you again, do you see your boss or your employees as chosen, holy, and dearly loved? It'll make all the difference. See, I'm convinced that if we don't see other people the way God sees them, chosen, holy, dearly loved, we're never going to treat them with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Interestingly, two of the first four words are the words we're looking at this morning. But you've got to have God's perspective in order to live out the kindness, gentleness thing. That's where it all begins. Our actions of gentleness and kindness begin with perspective. That's where we need to start. Well, that's kind of what I want to say about um, gentleness. But here's a way to think about it. Gentleness is power. Power. Under control to benefit someone else. That's, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is power. You're gentle only because you could be strong. You're not gentle if you're just weak and can't help yourself, Right? You ever wrestle with with a two-year-old? I can take most two-year-olds in a wrestling match. Not all of them, but I could take most of them. But when you wrestle a two-year-old or when you wrestle with your grandkids or with your kids, you do it gently, right? You don't slam them. You don't put all of your weight on them. You don't try as hard as you can. It's your power under control to not kill the other one right? Power under control to benefits. That's gentleness. You can't be gentle unless there's power there. It's power under control to benefit someone else. That's gentleness. What shift gears to kindness then? Well, what's kindness? Kindness is similar but different. 
Here's what kindness is. Uh, my definition. If you don't like it, blame me, but don't tell me. Uh, here's kindness. Resources under control for the benefit of someone else. It's kind of like gentleness, though, right? Gentleness is your power under control to not hurt someone but to benefit them. Kindness is your resources, your time, energy, your money under your control, but you use it to pay the price for someone else. You carry the burden for them by using your resources to benefit them. So both kindness and gentleness have kind of the same deal. You're benefiting someone else, one by leveraging your power for them, the other by leveraging your resources for them. That's how they're the same. Well, maybe the best way to uh, think about kindness is with an illustration. And I tried and tried uh, to come up with a better illustration. This is the one I got. I'm going to read to you a few verses from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a story uh, from David's life. And you need a little bit of a background in order to get to understand what's going on. Before David was king, Saul was king. And the way kingships, the way dynasties kind of lived back then, uh, the next king came from your family line, just like, you know, in monarchies today. So you're not elected, and it's not because you're the best person in the world. It's not a meritocracy. It is a monarchy. And in a monarchy, it's blood that carries the day. Which means that after Saul is killed in battle, one of his descendants should then be king. Because that's how monarchies work. Well, Jonathan was Saul's son, but he was killed in the same battle. Interestingly, Jonathan and David were best buddies. And they made a covenant together that they would never do anything to harm one another. They made a covenant of kindness and gentleness. And so regardless of who was going to be king, the other one was going to support and honor whatever happened. Well, Jonathan's killed in the battle. Saul's killed in the battle. David then assumes the throne. But David's not of the line of Saul. But there were still some other members of Saul's line running around, and they had a rightful claim to the throne. One of those um, descendants of Saul was named Mephibosheth. That's pretty cool to say, right? Me say that with me. Mephibosheth. That's cool, right? Um, Mephibosheth, uh, when he was just a real little guy, the Philistines were invading the kingdom. Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up and took off, you know, and just like some running backs fumbled the ball when she's carrying little Mephibosheth out. Mephibosheth that falls breaks both ankles. And, you know, they don't have lots of medical care back then and physical therapy, and so he's basically crippled for life. Mephibosheth is still alive, and he has a rightful claim to the throne, and David's king. What did all the kings back then do to those that could take the throne? They would kill them, right, just to make sure you have security in your throne. Follow along as I read the first few verses of 2 Samuel 9, and you think about kindness, resources, under control for the benefit of someone else. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. 
Ziba answered, He is at the house of Mikir, son of Amiel, in Lodabir, a place of no harvest. Lodabir, no harvest. So King David had him brought from Lodabir, from the house of Mikir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. That's kindness. That's resources under control for the benefit of someone else. If David would have lived and functioned like any other king, he would have had Mephibosheth killed because he had a rightful claim to the throne. Instead, he honors him. He calls him by name Mephibosheth. You realize what a big deal that would have been to have the king name you? I have a friend named Byron, uh, pastor of an African-American church, and Byron uh, likes to eat, and every once in a while I go to eat with Byron. And one of the things I'm always uh, mindful of, I never do this, Byron always does it, we sit down to eat, the first thing he says when the waiter waitress comes over, he says, um, can you tell me your name? And for the rest of the meal, Byron calls the waiter or the waitress by his or her name. And I remember saying one time, why do you do that? He said, because I want them to know I care about them. And they're an important person, even though they're here serving me. Name's pretty important, right? David also restores Mephibosheth's inheritance. It's been squandered because Mephibosheth is a rival to David. He was on the wrong team. David restores the inheritance and he invites him to fellowship. He invites him into a relationship. Does that sound familiar? The rightful king inviting rival kings, calling them by name, restoring an inheritance that they squandered, and issuing an invitation to fellowship and relationship? Yeah, we see an echo or an illustration of the gospel in how David is treating Mephibosheth. That's not the gospel. How David is treating Mephibosheth, that's not the gospel. How Jesus treats us is the gospel. But notice, David continues what Jesus started. David is living out what happened to him in the life of someone else. So when we say, let's continue what Jesus started, we're saying, let's go be echoes. Let's be illustrations of what we've experienced in the lives of other people. And there's no better way to do that than by being gentle and by being kind. Power under control to benefit others. Resources under control to benefit others. Isn't that what Jesus did? Omnipotence under control for our benefit? The resources of heaven under control for our benefit? So take whatever power and resource we have and let's leverage them for the benefit of other people. Let's live with gentleness and with kindness. A couple words of application. 
If we're ever going to live this out, the first thing we have to do is we have to embrace grace. We have to embrace grace. In order to embrace grace, you have to admit admit that you're weak and admit that your resources don't cut it. If you don't admit that you're weak and admit that your resources don't cut it, you're going to try to use your resources to benefit yourself. You're going to try to use your power to benefit yourself. But on the grand scheme of things, we don't have enough power to fix what we've messed up. We don't have enough resource to buy our way back. And until you admit your resources are too meager and your power is too weak, you can't do anything about it. But once you admit that and you accept the power of Jesus leveraged in your behalf and the resources of heaven through Jesus to you, then you're embracing grace. And when you embrace grace, now you've got the reservoir, the well that you can then be kind and gentle to other people. The second thing we have to do is we have to see the need. See the need. Now, look, I'll speak for myself. I am often, often so self-preoccupied. I am often so focused on what I want, where I'm headed, what I need. I don't even see people around me, let alone recognize their need. Are you like that? I mean, I'm focused, right? I'm headed here. I'm doing this. I don't see the needs around me. I don't hear the voices of need around me. And every once in a while, I need to kind of be awakened to that. So maybe if you're like me, maybe we need to start each day by embracing grace, reminding ourselves of our weakness, reminding ourselves of our lack of resource, and then asking God to open our eyes to those opportunities around us. Maybe when you leave the auditorium today, See needs that are around you. Speak a word. Use people's names. Learn their name. Come alongside. How can you leverage your power to help someone who's weak here? How can you leverage your resource to help someone here? And then in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your family, wherever it is, how can you use your power and resource to benefit someone else? And one last thing. We need to pay the price. You know, if you're going to have your power under control to benefit someone else, there's a price that goes with that because you're not using your power for yourself. If you're going to leverage your resources to benefit someone else, you're going to pay the price and you're not getting anything out of it. They are. I mentioned a few uh, things that we did together as a church community this past week. Those acts of service were acts of kindness and gentleness. We leveraged our power and our resource to benefit other people. And 120,000 meals will be eaten these next couple of months because we paid the price for that to be done. And by the way, there's still a little price that has to be paid for that if you want to give a gift to Rise Against Hunger. And in the toy store, we're paying the price to benefit someone else. And in the shoebox, we pay the price for someone else. And when you issue invitations to Christmas Eve service, you're paying the price to benefit someone else. And when you come and everything may not be exactly as you want in a service or at a particular Christmas Eve service, you're paying the price to benefit someone else. You see, God calls us to be kind and gentle because Jesus is kind and gentle to our benefit. And then he says, you use your power and you use your resource to benefit someone else. There's a price that goes with that. Embrace grace. See the need. Pay the price. And we'll grow in kindness. And we'll grow in gentleness. I'll let you know a little secret. I had a real goal this morning in my head. 
And the goal was to convince you all that kindness and gentleness does not mean being nice. Because I don't know about you, I'm sick and tired of somehow Christianity being nice. God doesn't call us to be nice. He calls us to be kind. He calls us to be, and he doesn't call us to be nasty either, all right? He calls us to be kind and gentle. Use your power to benefit someone else. Use your resource to benefit someone else. That's gentleness. That's how kindness operates. That's not niceness. Niceness is often a transactional deal. I'll be nice to you because I really want you to be nice back to me. We're not called to be nice. We're called to be loving, compassionate, kind, gentle. So what do you say? Well, we get to go and live out the answer as we leave. We're going to end with a song, so I'm going to ask you to stand. And as I'm praying, the band will come out. And we're going to sing a reminder as to why we need to live with gentleness and kindness. And the engine of that is Jesus' gentleness and kindness to us. Let's pray. Father, we're mindful of the fact that Jesus is gentle ultimate power under control for our benefit. Jesus is infinitely kind, uses the resources of heaven for our benefit. He speaks our name, restores our inheritance, invites us to a relationship. Lord, help us in some small way every day this week to be kind and to be gentle using whatever power you've given, whatever resources you've given us to benefit other people. Help us to be echoes of the gospel in the context of our lives this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.